You're listening to the New Era of Imperialism podcast. And we're covering Nigeria with Charlie, Zoe, and Eleanor. First, we're going to cover Nigeria pre-imperialized. So first, what was the government? Well, the Igbo society was fragmented. It really had no central government. Igbo villages were spread throughout Nigeria, and they actually had their own leadership and social structure. The government within communities also was really similar to democracy. Leaders in society were, however, men who did have titles. The society was a meritocracy, and leadership was not hereditary. High-ranking men were not considered kings, but they helped high-rank assemblies. Everyone had a chance to speak and offer an opinion. As for their religion, they practiced a traditional polytheistic religion before imperialism brought Christianity. As for the culture, family life, and traditions, while the Igbo did not have a strong identity as a whole, but dance was used to teach or to fulfill some ritualistic goal, and sculptures were used in blessings and healing rituals or to ward off any bad luck. Storytelling was also very popular, and with the help of learning English, it spread throughout, but that was before. For special ceremonies, there would not be, it would just not be complete without sharing a meal. As for work life and economy, the Igbo communities traded with each other. Although the economy was probably was primarily based off of subsistence farming of crops such as yams, communities were widely based around markets. Sharecropping also played a huge role in the Igbo society. Wealthy Igbo loaned land and seedling yams to wealthy farmers in return for a sizable portion of their crop. Hard work was valued, so even the wealthiest participated in farming. Wealth was measured in yams. Even the, even the Igbo, who had primitive currency known as cowries. What was the region? Well, actually, the borders of modern Nigeria were not created until the British consolidated their colonial power over the area in 1914. Nigeria is in West Africa along the eastern coast of the Gulf of Guinea and just north of the equator. Now that we have learned about Nigeria before colonization, let's dive into what has happened during colonization. First, we'll talk about which Europeans were involved and why. The British were the ones to imperialize Nigeria. Their plans to abolish the slave trade was their excuse to intervene. They also didn't want France or Germany to attack or get Nigeria first. The British wanted to eradicate the slave trade and instead trade in other commodities, especially palm oil. British power was used to unseat the reigning king of Lagos because he made no serious effort to end slavery in the region. In 1845, the Berlin Conference reinforced the British colonizing Nigeria. But what did the British do? At first, they were met with resistance. Organized leaders used guerrilla tactics to fight the British. Ultimately, they lost, but the Igbo nationalism lived on. While the British initially promoted anti-slavery and outlawed it in 1807, their demand for palm oil led to more slavery and primarily the internal slave trade. The British established the Royal Niger Company, which controlled the palm oil trade. It was stationed along the Niger River. The river runs throughout West Africa with the length of 2,597 miles. The British also founded the Oil Rivers Protectorate in 1885. Britain also brought things like education. Nigeria's education system changed from progressive education to essentialist education. Britain also brought Western medicine. Once Britain had Nigeria, they didn't have enough troops to govern such a vast and complex area. Right away, they turned to indirect rule. They relied on local administrations already in place and chiefs to keep order, avoid rebellion, and collect taxes from people. 
This type of system worked well in the north, but in the east and southwestern parts of Nigeria, it caused more chaos. Chiefdoms and councils had trouble with the way the British were leading. The British had appointed chiefs in places that didn't have chiefs before. They restricted the power of the chiefs and left them with little status. This leads to the question of how Nigerian culture and society had changed. Before colonization, there were around 250 different ethnic groups living in Nigeria. It was one of the most culturally diverse areas in Africa. The three largest groups consisted of the Hausa, Fulani, the Yoruba, and the Igbo. All, the, all three of these groups had different faiths and way of governing, and their culture was not respected nor preserved. Today, as little as 0.6% of Nigerians' population follow the traditional faiths. About half of Nigeria is still Muslim, but the other half has adopted Christianity due to the Western colonization. Christian missionaries met resistance by Muslim leaders, but continued to spread the religion and Western education. Another change that came with British rule was the English language. New forms of transportation, money, and things like communication were also changing. Their entire economy relied on the, report, on the export of cash crops. The impact of British colonization still lives on today. That is proven by the fact that half of the population is still Christian. The official language in Nigeria is English. Things like education and medicine were shaped by the British. That's what was happening during the era of imperialism. After this short ad, Zoe will continue with what happened after. Try Anchor today. Anchor by Spotify allows you to create and produce your own podcast. You can record capturing audio right from your browser, use from library, upload music from Spotify, add listener voice messages to your episode, and have transitions with free music, try Anchor today at anchor.fm. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor, and we hope to see you soon. Okay, now let's cover the end of colonial rule in Nigeria. First, how, when, and why did the Europeans leave? Covering the when, the Europeans officially left Nigeria in 1960, but the fight for freedom began in 1930. Now let's talk about the how. The National Party called the Nigerian Youth Movement began in 1934. They knew they needed some government power, so they elected many of their members into the Legislative Council. During this time, the main goal was to get British rule out of Nigeria. In 1944, Makali, Namdi Azakiwa, and Igbo came to Nigeria after being previously educated in the U.S. They created the National Council of Nigeria and the Cameroons, uniting over 40 groups, all working together against the British rule. The use of the media and political parties became very popular to get all Nigerians on board with the end of British rule in Nigeria. The British tried to avoid more problems by introducing a representational colonial system, but this ended up causing more problems, which led to nationalists, including Azakiwa, to make the Littleton Constitution of 1954. The Constitution put a governor, premier cabinet, legislator, and civil service in place in two of the regions, Nigeria and the southern Cameroons, while the federal territory of Lagos only had a governor general, house of representatives, senate, and a bureaucracy. Eventually, in 1957, the western and eastern regions were granted internal self-government. Northerners didn't want internal self-government because they didn't feel they were as educated as the South. They didn't get it until 1959, as they wished. Nigeria was officially independent on October 1st in 1960. Azakiwa ruled as the president of Senate and Balewa continued on as the prime minister. Overall, the native people of Nigeria had a big role in the end of British rule in Nigeria. They all complied 
by forming groups, following a political leader's wishes, coming up with ideas and educating themselves. Luckily, the transition from both sides was pretty peaceful. And now our guest with a special interview on education in Nigeria. Welcome to this interview. Today we have Molly May, an educator from Nigeria. Hello, thank you. Okay, first, what is the education education system like in Nigeria? Well, Nigeria has one year pre-primary education, six years primary, three years junior secondary, and three years senior secondary, and it has a minimum of four years territory education. Well, that's very interesting. Okay, now, what are the problems Nigerians face in regards to education? Well, one that's actually quite tragic is the funding. Now, education is seriously underfunded in Nigeria. And while many schools are funded by the government, the education sector is also heavily privatized with private schools. Now, these schools are usually out of reach for Nigerians who live below the poverty line, which is quite common, unfortunately. Now, public schools, which are funded by the government, are generally cheaper, but they typically lack quality facilities and learning tools. Now, the second most common thing and problem is the curriculum. And most of the Nigerian education curriculum is still based on the Universal Basic Education, the UBE program that was adopted in 1981. And this limits the amount of digital skills many Nigerian students are able to receive via computer or any other electronic device. Now, as far as the last one, it's kind of just teacher training. And it kind of trickles down to lower levels of education where there are few properly qualified teachers and a lot less qualified ones. There are also no nationally recognized teachers hiring guidelines and private school teaching is hardly regulated. Issues like this leave huge quality gaps in education of Nigerian children. Thank you so much for this great interview. Thank you so much. I loved having this discussion. Thank you for having me. Okay, back to our regular podcast. Now let's take a look at the legacy imperialism has left in Nigeria. At the time, it was negative, but had some lasting positive effects. Traditional ideas, tools, medicines were forgotten and forced out. On the positive side, imperialism brought an industrial and agricultural boom in Nigeria. Now, what are the remaining imperialist or Western influences? One of the main things is Western education, as we heard in the interview before. And one of the main things is actually the English language that's been adopted as the official language um, in teaching and educating Nigerian citizens. Now, one of the cons of this is actually many people in Nigeria are ashamed of speaking their native language. Now, another thing that's interesting are weddings and traditions. Many Nigerians have been converted to Christianity and some do not value their traditional values. Another thing, interesting thing are dress codes in Western fashion. But some Nigerian people still wear the traditional Nigerian clothes. The last thing is music and pop culture. So pop music is the most popular and the acrobatic movements and dance um, have been emulated from the Western culture. And at the same time, seen as a trend of modernity in Nigeria. Okay, covering the legacy that it had on native culture and life here. And a lot of their native traditions were ended, but many people see this as a positive because many of their traditions were pretty violent and immoral, or they would seen, be seen like that today. The family values were definitely changed. Polygamy in large families were very common pre-imperialism. Nowadays, most marriages are monogamous and the families are awfully small. 
Thank you so much for listening to our new era of imperialism podcast focusing on Nigeria. This was Charlie, Eleanor, and Zoe, and we'll see you next time.